We started John last week, and we just got an introduction in it. We saw so many things about it. Uh, Does anybody need last week's introduction? I think I have five left. Well, I think that's going to wipe me out. Let's see if I got enough. This is a... But uh, this is what I have from lesson one, so I'll let you pass this out, please. And then here's lesson two if you need them. Uh, Apostle, the, the Gospel of John, the good news of Jesus Christ is my favorite of the Gospels. It is the most personal, it is the most intimate of the Gospels. Uh, John Calvin said, the, the three synoptic Gospels tell us about the work and person of Christ. The book of John tells us about the soul of Christ. It's very intimate and personal. And if you can read the book of John without a tear in your eye, talk to me after class. But we talked about this book, uh, and we said there were several themes, or four major themes in this book. Without looking at your notes, those of you who were here, what is the most important theme... And I'm having really bad luck with these markers. What would the, what's the most important theme in the book of John? The theme is that you would... The, the theme is the divinity, the deity of Christ. He is who He claimed to be. He said He and the Father were one. He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He said before Abraham was, Yahweh, I Am. And so Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we said that the other themes all explain the first theme. And we said that another major theme in this book was to believe. And a hundred times the word believe is in the book of John. And as Rusty said, the, the, the topic sentence or the major focus of the book is John 20, verse 31. And that verse says, These, This book was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in His name. So believe is another major theme of the book of John. And over a hundred times the word believe is written. Another major theme is that this book is very evangelistic. And the book was written to the Jew and to the Greek, particularly the Greek lost world, the Gentile world. And it was written to the Jews who dispersed. Uh, from Jerusalem after the death and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So the book is very evangelistic. It was written 50 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. It's the last gospel written, written about 80 to 90 A.D. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote the Revelation. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and, and John from Ephesus... And then he was exiled to Patmos, the island, and that's where he saw the vision of Jesus Christ and wrote the Revelation. So all of his books are later and are some of the are the oldest books, are the newest books in the New Testament. And so the book is very evangelistic, and it is evangelizing based upon the fact that God, Jesus, is God. And then another major theme in this book is life. He tells us that we can have abundant life now 
and we will have eternal life later. But we're going to talk about this theme of life. We think of life as breathing, moving, having uh, a mind, everything that encapsulates being alive or having life. But he takes it deeper, and he talks about spiritual life. He talks about fellowship with the true God. And so we're going to see this theme as it is developed uh, in this book. Uh, This book is unique. How did we say this book was unique, those of you who were here? There are several, many uniquenesses about the book of John that is not in the synoptic gospels. Signs? Signs. Did I do? Okay. In the book, there are eight signs. And these signs all are going to be when the sign, the first sign, Jesus turns the water into wine. That sign has significance. And that sign John is going to use to give particular emphasis to the divinity, to believing, and it is evangelistic and to life. So thank you for that, Dwayne. Sometimes I forget what I've written. Signs, there are eight of them. So the uniqueness, what is the most unique thing do you think about the book of John? Personal relationship. He does not ever identify himself as John the Apostle. He calls himself what? The disciple whom Jesus loved, the one whom Jesus loved. And we talked about that in detail. We talked about the humility of John. John is called the disciple of love. John felt loved by Jesus Christ. He was part of the intimate circle with Peter, James, and John, his brother James, and he was loved by Christ. He knew that. He 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 dwelt on that, and he's the disciple of love. And herein is love, not that we love God, that he loved us. And so John, the apostle of love, was loved by God, and his epistles reflected the fact that he was loved by God. And he was very loving and very fatherlike. And if you read his words, it's so personal and so fatherlike. He was loved, and so he loves much. Matter of fact, he said, I have no greater love to see that my children walk in the faith. He's an endeared man, loved man, and because of that, he loved much. So thank you for that, Fran, who wasn't even here. There's a personal relationship that uh, is striking in the book of John. What else? No parables. Was that the one you was going to say? Absolutely. The I Ams. We talked about the seven I Ams. We will talk about the seven I Ams and you will know what they are, I promise you. But as Dwayne said, they reflect back to the burning bush when God said to Moses, I am that I am and that is going to be my name. And that's where we get Yahweh. That's where we 
Uh, the Jews didn't even pronounce the name because of its holiness, but it, it means I am the self-existent one. And so Jesus, when he said, I am the bread of life, I am the light, I am the resurrection and life, when he said, I am the other, other ones, he was, he was proving he was God and he was divine and he was deity. And because he was, men must believe and he would give them life and he's going to show them by their signs. Any other thing unique to the book of John that we talked about? We talked about the signs. I had put the signs under uniqueness, I believe. Uh, any other things that we talked about that you wanted to, to bring up before we get rambling here? It's the most theological. It reflects the soul of Christ. John describes Jesus in more detail than any other uh, book of the Bible, even in, even Paul. And if you read Revelation, everybody likes the, the prophecies and what's going to happen. But if you read Revelation chapter 1, there is more detail about who Christ is in Revelation 1 than you'll see anywhere else. So John knew Christ personally. And I challenge you to read Revelation 1 and just notice the description of Christ in the book of Revelation chapter 1. We see this, the uniqueness of this book is 13 through 17 is the, is the fellowship that Christ has with His disciples. And in it we, we learn more about the Holy Spirit. We learn about the love relationship. We learn about the servant relationship. We learn about the vine relationship. We learn about... And then we most specifically, we see the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, the most intimate, wonderful chapter in the Bible, in my opinion, Jesus praying for us. And we're going to talk about that. So this book is very unique and very personable and very theological. So, uh, unique book. Uh, the personal relationship he has with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, all these things point to who He is and the heart He has. We see the verse, Jesus wept. And we're going to talk about His love for His people and His care for His people. And it should, the purpose of that is to cause you to love Him because He loves you, okay? So that's the book. Now, we're going to start this out. Remember, we're going to start, and then the theme of the book, this is all written that you may believe and have eternal life. So, uh, what He does, the Apostle, what He does is he writes the prologue, and the prologue is verses 1 through 18 of John. We're very familiar with the prologue, but in the prologue, what he's going to do is he is going to introduce... Greg and Brenda when they pop in. In the prologue, he's going to introduce things that later he's going to develop, and his introduction is all tied into these themes. So as I talk about this prologue, and as I talk about especially uh, the first five verses, which probably all I'm going to get to today, at least that's what I have in my notes, you're, we're going to see how all of these prologues and everything is going to point to this. I'm going to try to, that's why I wrote this over here, so we can see John's reasoning and logic as he writes this book. So are we ready to go? Uh, that's sort of what we talked about last week. And uh, so let's read 
uh, 1 through 18, and uh, we will not get there, I promise you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. There's that theme again. He might, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, And his own didn't receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, And truth, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So, wow. So, we see this. In this prologue, if you look at introduction, we see John MacArthur's outline of this, and I'm going to use this specifically because it makes life easier for me, and it's pretty straightforward. So, in the prologue, if you look at introduction part D, we're going to see that Christ is eternal, pre-existent. That's going to be found in verses 1 and 2. We're going to see that He's incarnate. We're going to see His pre-incarnate work in verses 3 through 5. If you want to put that out beside the notes. We're going to see He was witnessed and He was forerun by John. I don't know if that's even a word, but John was a forerunner of Christ. And we see that. We'll see that in verses 6 uh through uh, 9, and then we're going to see he was unrecognized. That's going to be verse in 12 and 13. We're going to see that he was omnipotent about uh, him becoming flesh, and then we're going to see that he was glorious, and we're going to see about that, and we'll see that in this prologue, and that's how MacArthur is organizing, and so that's how we'll go about this. So let's start with uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we see many things here. First of all, we see this note, in the beginning. And I'm going to go completely opposite of my notes here, but uh, so if there's anything interesting you want to write down, uh, we'll trust that I have this, uh, at least I think I know what I'm talking about. It starts right in the beginning, literally, This means before the beginning. This literally means before, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning of beginnings, before there was a beginning, in the beginning, 
So we're talking about the eternality of Christ. What does it mean that Christ is eternal? Eternality of Christ. How is that important? Why is that important? Why does that necessitate the fact that He's God in the beginning, before the beginning? The word starts out, in the beginning, God, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created the earth. And the earth was that form and void and darkness covered the face of the earth. And God said, Elohim said, let there be light. And there was light. Why is it important that John in the prologue, as he's pointing everybody to these themes that you may believe, why is it important that Jesus Christ is eternal? Give me some feedback. Validates his deity. He has always been. He is, he is not created. He's not created. We say that scripturally he is self-existent. There has never been a time that he wasn't. He existed before time began, and he will exist throughout eternity. That blows your mind. We're not able to, we're not able to come up with that. We can go back to the creation. We can go, okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. They decided to create earth and they decided to create the heavens and the earth. They decided to create the sun and the moon and the stars. They created this. What were they doing? Trillions and quadrillions of quintillions and wherever else is the other side of trillions. What were they doing? And they've always existed. We can't go there, can we? But we apprehend, we grab hold of this by faith that Jesus is God and He's always existed. They are the only uncreated beings. Everything else has been created by them and has been started by them. But they breathe them into existence. But God, Elohim, the Father, Son, He said, let us make man in our image so there is a plurality in the Godhead. There's no word Trinity in the Scripture. But the Scripture is filled with this doctrine that there is a Godhead, that God exists in three persons. He subsists in three personalities. That he, that he has distinct roles within the Godhead. The Father has a role. Jesus Christ has a role. The Spirit has a role. But they are unified. And I'll get into that in a minute. So he is self-existent. And so we see the importance of the self-existence. So we have a self-existent God who doesn't need anyone to complete Him or satisfy Him. So that notion that that God needs men is not complete without men and that He misses men, that is all a fabrication of poor theology and music. Okay, if you've all know songs, I miss my time with you and blah, blah, blah. He is complete in Himself. He chose to create us out of the good pleasure of His will. 
but He didn't need to create us. He doesn't need us to be fulfilled. He is fulfilled in and of Himself. He's perfectly content in His existence and always has been and always will be. But because He's the eternal Son of God, His claims to divinity are very important to us. And you must believe that He is God. Because if He's not God, when He dies on that cross, we're going to have some problems, aren't we? But we, he starts out in this prologue with the themes of divinity and to believe and to be evangelistic and to, and to give us life in the seven I am's and these things are written that you may believe. He starts at the beginning. There is a principle. There is God. And he exists in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. So now he's going to further extrapolate this. And he's going to say, in the beginning, and there's number three, bad. I'm going to be, I'm going to really be confusing up here. There we go. In the beginning was the word. Was predates the beginning. He was there before the beginning. Another way that he speaks of his internality. In the beginning was the word. It existed before the beginning of beginning. The word. Now, everybody, understands John's thinking. John is writing to Greeks and John is writing to Jews. The Old Testament understands the Word differently than the Greeks understood it. The Old Testament understood the Word as that that proceeded from God's mouth. And I have a few verses here of the hundreds that are in, but just for time's sake... So John says, in the beginning was the Word. And he's writing to Jews who understand Judaism and their past. So he appeals to their thinking so that they may believe that he's God. So he appeals to their understanding of the, uh, of the Word. And it is the spewing forth of knowledge, wisdom, to, appealing to the intellect, uh, uh, telling us what he's done. Uh, confirming that God is who God is. So let's look at these verses, and it's going to parallel. I just use these examples just to make it easier for us about creation. And so we see who's got Psalm 33, 6, uh, and then who's got 107. Let me just, I do better when I tell. Sheila, 33, 6, Melanie, 107, 20, and, uh, and Russell, uh, Proverbs 8, 27. Three examples of the Old Testament, Jews' old understanding of what the Word is. In the beginning was the Word. And so we'll see him appealing to the Jewish mind. Go ahead, Sheila. Okay. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all the Okay, so we see by the Word of the Lord, and God breathed the existence of the world. He spoke it into existence, and it existed. And it will exist till he takes his breath from it. So we see that example appealing to the Jewish mind. Who's got 107.20? Psalm. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their Again, appealing to Old Testament thought, appealing to what they went through in the wanderings in the wilderness. He sends out his word, his revelation of who he is, and his word changes the people, and it provides for them during the wilderness times. And then uh, 
Uh, Russell, you've got Proverbs 8.27. When you established the heavens, I was there. When you inscribed the circle on the face of the sea. This verse is going to appeal to my next subject was to the Greek mind. And John appeals with this word, I'll get into this in a second, to the Greek mind. And the Greeks thought of the, on this line, they thought about wisdom, and they thought about intellect, and they thought they were more philosophical in their thinking. They loved knowledge, they loved to, to get knowledge, and so John is, 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 is writing this so that they would believe too, so he's appealing to how they think. And what Russell said uh, red was God's metaphor for wisdom. He spoke wisdom, and he spoke knowledge. He spoke uh, wisdom, and his wisdom is Jesus Christ. And that in that whole chapter is about Jesus and and wisdom. And he was there before the earth began. So John is appealing to the Greek mind and the way the Greek likes to think through philosophy, wisdom, and intellect. And he appeals to the Old Testament to the Jew. So the word. The word is a Greek word, and we all know this word. We've been in church long enough. We know that the Greek word is logos. And the Greek word is, uh, is an unusual word, and it has with it many, many ramifications. I had many people that had differing views, and I love these different views, and they're all true. But just think of the different thought. In the beginning was, before the beginning, was the Word. And the Word is defined as, it's a, uh, it, uh, uh, let's just look at all the different words. He's, uh, one commentator says that the Word, which we always, when reading that, in the beginning was the Word, it is okay and it is very proper to put in the word Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Uh, is uh, the, the word logos came to understand a title for Christ that emphasized his deity. So it's a title for Christ that emphasized his deity. And it communicated who God is and what He's like. So this concept of being the Logos. And I love what this writer said. He said, Jesus is God's explainer. Jesus came to draw out the meaning of God and to lead them on a tour to who God is. He's the fullness of God expressed bodily. So we can't see God. We don't, we, God in His Godhead is mysterious to us. He's not revealed Himself to us, but Jesus Christ reveals to us who God is. And so this concept that He's the Logos to the Greek mind, they would understand that it is a picture of who God is and how God has communicated Himself to us on this planet through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why later Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and you can't come to the Father except through Me. 
I am the Logos. I am the explainer of who God is. I'm going to show you who God is, who is a spirit. I'm going to show you in my flesh, as God and man, who God is. Was you going to say something? It's like bidding on something. I thought you moved your hand. Fifty dollars. Yes. That's right. Jesus, so when you're reading that, when I've read that to my kids, when I've read that to, to uh, younger groups of people in Sunday school classes, it is very proper to say, and in my little mind, it's really easy for me to say, in the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Okay? You've got to understand that. So he starts at the basic. He's eternal and he's God. Now, as I try to do this, uh, uh, there are different wonderful understandings. That John Calvin is my favorite common, uh, commentarian. I believe that he is the most gifted commentarian who's ever existed outside of the apostles. I think he's second only to Paul. Uh, I, I really reverence uh, how he thinks and how, how reverential he is, and he's very solid. He likes the word. In his commentary, he calls it the speech. And, uh, and the reason he calls it the speech is that he doesn't like to... Uh, the, the Greeks had some really mysterious philosophies, and he doesn't like to confuse some of the Greek philosophies with the Logos. The Greeks thought the body was inherently bad, and the Greeks had some options. You know, they had all their gods, and they thought God was... Uh, they thought Jesus perhaps could have been like their gods, that he was, uh, he was man, but he was God, and he was confused in who he was at particular times. So they had differing views. So what Calvin says is, I want to call it the speech, which is a verbatim of God. And uh, that's, that appeals to his image and purpose, and it appeals to the mind. And as the mind must be convinced through the grace of God that Jesus is who he said he is. So he calls it the speech. And, uh, and he says it's, it's the, and he also calls it the expression of God. Jesus is the complete expression of God. He is God expressed, God explained, and God defined. So when we see the word logos, let all these thoughts come into your mind that He is God. And He is how we men understand an infinite holy God by a God, by God coming to earth and, and taking on to Himself humanity so we can in our thick skulls comprehend who God is. So Jesus is the explainer of God and He's going to take us in His life and in His love and in His obedience and His humility, He's going to teach us who His Father is and what His Father has told Him to tell us. And He's going to show us in His life what we were supposed to be and what we will one day be. huh? So that's who the Logos is. In the beginning was Jesus, was the Logos. Okay, does everybody understand that? Any, any questions about the claim of the Apostle 
John that Jesus is God because of his eternality and because he is the expression of God. Many verses uh, we could look at, but I'm going to leave them for the next subject. He is God. He says he's God. He claims to be God. He is God. So we understand that. Now let's look at, and the Word, Jesus was with God. So He, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was, again, with God. What does the word with, what connotation does that bring up to you when it says the Logos was with God? God. Alongside. Intimate fellowship throughout eternity. So you understand. When Jesus is praying for His people, for us, when He says, show them the glory that I had with you from the beginning of the world, okay? He is saying, I was with God, I am God. And He prays that we would catch a glimpse of who He is. Okay, just one example. And when He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? we understand the first time separation of a father with his son because of the sins that he came to bear for his people. And we understand the seriousness of sin. And this is written that we would believe and we would have abundant life here on earth, okay? This is all particularly written for his glory and for our benefit. So he says the word... The Logos, Jesus, was with God alongside in an intimate relationship. And then look at your notes. I think uh, we're probably uh, part 2, verse 3. And in the notes I have this. Christ is the same essence with the Father, although distinct. So He's with God. He's alongside Him. He's in intimate fellowship with Him. He is of the same essence. When the scriptures, when the, uh, is that how I spell essence? Yes, that's weird looking. They're C's. Now when scripture says he's of the same essence, I don't want to bog you down in theological terminology. Simply what does that mean? And give me examples. When Jesus is with God, He's in intimate fellowship, He's alongside Him, uh, He's of the same essence. What does that mean? Pardon me? Well, how about that? That's on the notes. Tell us what that is. Yes. This is the incarnation. This is the humiliation. 
When it says, what does it say in there, Rusty, about verse 6 or 7, and it's going to be the same essence? How does he use that word? Let's look at that, and I'll uh, sort of jump my gun here, and uh, we'll divvy off a bit off the path, but we'll get back. Yes, Philippians 2, verse... Verse 5 and 6. Go ahead. Just, uh, let's read 5 and 6. 5 and 6. Having this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as thing to be grasped. So when it says in the form of God... That literally means in the Greek, as we look at Jesus as the same essence of the Father, it literally means He's the outward manifestation of what God is. He is the public demonstration in bodily form as a man and as God, what God is. He's the same essence. And then it says He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. That word equal is iso. The word equal is the word iso in the Greek, and it literally means to be the same in every aspect, the same in every attribute, the same in all ways. So when Jesus, when the Logos, Jesus is, was, always existed with God, not only is there a personal intimacy between the two persons of the Godhead, There is an exact similarity. And so, when Jesus is the same as God, that means He is all the omni-words. He's omnipotent, and He is omnipresent, except He voluntarily laid that aside when He became a man. He is uh, omniscient. He is all-knowing. What else is He? He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. He's immutable. He can't lie. He doesn't change. He's merciful. What else is, is, he's of the same essence of the Father. He's sovereign. What else is he? He's of the same essence of God. He came to earth. He's inhuman. He's a human. And he's fully God and he's fully man. And as God, he's the same essence, of course, as the Father. So he's all these things. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. He's love. He's compassionate. Whatever else we see in all of Scripture that is true of the Father is true of the Son. So when it says the Logos was with God, that means He is the same essence of God. He's ISO. He is same in His attributes. The difference is, as David said this morning, He voluntarily lays aside some of His attributes. Specifically, He voluntarily lays aside Omniscience. Remember, he asked the lady, who touched me? So as a man, he voluntarily laid aside this. We call this, in theological terms, the kenosis. He voluntarily lays aside his divine attributes as a man. And he humbles himself. Pardon me? That's part of his. That's part of his uh, uniqueness that he would humble himself and become obedient to the to the cross. Yes. Yeah. 
So we see He's with God. He's the same essence. He is God. But He is the explainer of God as a human. We see that. And He shows Himself in His works. And He shows Himself in His purpose of why He came and His love and His obedience and His humility.